Uh, turn to your Bibles today, if you would, uh, to two different passages of Scripture, and then we're just going to jump right in. Uh, for those of you that got the mailer and then those that are on the team know what we're going to be speaking about over the next seven weeks, and we're starting a series called Uncensored. And uh, why did we come up with that name? Just praying. We believe that there are subjects that face our culture, and uh, those subjects sometimes are rarely talked about in church and in depth. And so it's our intent over the next seven weeks to talk about some of those. Now, we won't be able to cover all of the ones that people submitted. We had a form online that people went on and submitted questions. Hey, I'd love to hear about this. I'd love to hear about that. Uh, people in church were dropping things uh, in, in a bucket saying, hey, I'd love to hear about this. I'd love to hear about that. So all of these subjects that we're going to talk about are ones that you wanted to hear about. Okay? And um, obviously we're not going to be able to cover all of them once again. But the seven we chose were the seven most popular. And today we're going to start... Uh, talking about marriage. Turn your Bible to the book of John, chapter 8, and then we're going to flip over to Ephesians, chapter 5. Um, so as we begin to talk about these things, we are strictly going to be talking about what the Bible says, John 8, 32, what the Bible says on these matters. Now, I'm going to do my best to hold my opinions to a minimum. Um, now, how many know that's a hard thing to do? Okay, not just for me, hello, but for anybody. Um, everything comes to the filter of who you are, um, but it's my job today to read as much Scripture and, uh, and apply as much Scripture as possible on these subjects. John 8, 32 says this, and it says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 22. Ephesians 5, verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, can I just say something right there? Because some people have a hard time with this passage. Many people have heard it read at weddings, or maybe you've heard a sermon on it, or maybe you've just read across it yourself. And a lot of people have a hard time with this passage because they focus in on the fact that is the wife subservient to the man? Is he supposed to serve him? Is he if you actually look at the passage and you understand the passage correctly, um, really, um, women, uh, you shouldn't have a problem with this because the Bible says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And if you understand that one phrase in this whole passage, you understand that Jesus Christ died for all humanity. So that means your husband is going to die. No, just kidding. <laughs> Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she represents or respects her husband. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that God, you would speak to us clearly 
and to the point. God, I pray the truth of your word would be heard today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. John 8.32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It is our intent, it is our goal, simply to share with you, I believe that the Bible is truth. I believe that the Bible is infallible. I believe it's 100% the Word of God. I believe it contains no error. I believe whatever it says on a subject is the final authority on that subject. That's the frame of reference I'm coming from. Now, I know that there's some of you sitting here today and many more that will come that will greatly disagree with that. And that is just one area we'll have to agree to disagree on. Um, I believe that this right here has stood the test of time. I believe it's been tried and I believe it's been found without, without error. Therefore, John 8.32, it is our goal then to give you the truth. It is not our job to condemn. It is not our job to convict. It is just simply our job to say, here's what the Bible says. Now you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, as the Bible declares. We're going to jump right into marriage today. Seven subjects we're going to cover. Um, we were, going to, we're going to post them on our website so you can go. That way you can pick and choose the ones you want to come to. Um, we haven't done that yet. Um, but I believe that today, the one we're starting out with, if you don't understand the covenant of marriage and how it relates to us and how it relates to the church and how it relates to Christ, you will, you will miss all the other subjects we're talking about. If you don't understand this one subject, I don't believe you can understand divorce as we're going to start uh, to talk about divorce next week. I don't believe you can understand sex without understanding marriage, and we're going to talk about that like in four weeks. I don't believe you can understand abortion. I don't, there's a lot of topics you can't understand until you've grasped what God is talking about in His Word and what it says about marriage. Marriage, and this is the definition I'm going to give you, um, and, it's, and it's one that our, our government adheres to. It says this, marriage is the social institution under which a man and a woman establish their decision to live as husband and wife by legal commitments and religious ceremonies. The social institution under which a man and woman establish their decision to live as husband and wife by legal commitments, religious ceremonies. Here is the reality of marriage. Everybody has either thought about it, is thinking about it, will think about it, is married, is about to get married, or is coming out of a marriage. And we'll probably go into another one. Okay, and, and I mean, we've seen it time and time again, being in ministry for so long that, that, man, someone gets married, they end up in a divorce, they end up getting married, and they end up in a divorce. The third time, they end up getting married, they end up in a divorce, and, and there's this cycle, and at some point, you've got to realize there is a common denominator in the equation, but we'll talk about that another time. So everybody thinks about marriage. Matter of fact, a, a Lewis, and Harris, uh, Lewis Harris study was done just recently. And it found this, that 96% of those in college, probably because it's easier to poll college students because they're right there. And it found that 96% of college students were either already married or they wanted to be married. And when asked why, this is what the majority of them said. Because we see the value of meaningful family relationships. We either are married or we're going to get married because we see the meaning or we value uh, uh, those, those strong meaning of family relationships. Even though divorce rate is at a really you know, uh, high, that didn't affect their decision. They still believe that marriage, 96% of them, was the way to go. Everyone thinks about marriage. Listen, I've got to be honest with you. My four-year-old thinks about marriage which I'm not real happy about, I'll be honest with you. I have two daughters, six and four, and the fact that either of them are thinking about marriage right now, it doesn't make me happy, okay? So when they get to be teenagers, I am going to buy a gun, all right? 
and we will put padlocks on all the doors. And get, I don't know why they're already thinking about marriage, other than you, you just, just watch one Disney movie. I think every Disney movie has, a, you know, a prince and a princess, or, you know, and they're going to end up together one way or the other. And so we've actually kind of, they, they watch Handy Manny now, and that is it, you know. <laughs> That's right, and I'm sure they'll start throwing something in there soon. But um, they already think about it. Um, they, 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 we catch them role-playing it sometimes, like, oh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the bride or I'm the princess, and there's the groom. And they're already thinking about that age. Now, I, it's different for guys a little bit, although culture would begin to show us that even at a younger age, now boys are beginning to think about it as well. They're thinking about marriage. Now, I don't remember the first time I thought about marriage. I remember the first time I thought about girls, but I don't remember the first time I thought about marriage. Come on, can I be honest with you today? Okay. I remember the first time I thought about marriage, and, uh, and, and it, was, it wasn't like a, a scary thing. It was like, man, I want to get married someday. You know, and it might have started off with a little flower. You know, she loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. Am I the only one that did that? Okay. Actually, I never did the flower one. I, I'm, I was a basketball player, and I would always go out to a seat. I know somebody else feels me. I'd always go out to the basketball hoop, and I'd be like, if I make this shot, she loves me, and she's going to marry me. All right, best out of three. If I may, you know, and, and that's, that's the way I... Now, all of us have done something like that at some point in our life. Why? Because we value relationships. I believe this. I believe there is something, and we're going to talk about it today. I believe there is something in the core of every individual that wants a life partner. There's something there. No matter your stance on the marriage issue, whether it should be between a man and a woman, or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. There is something that is in the, the, the core of every individual that wants a lifelong partner, wants a meaningful relationship. And I believe that was God's design for us, and I believe it's what God intends for all of us. And uh, I grew up in a great home where my parents now have, have been married for, uh, they'll be celebrating their 51st anniversary on June 13th. And uh, 51 years, and they're still married. And man, that makes my mom and dad my heroes. Um, to stay married for 51 years. I mean, nowadays, the average, the average uh, marriage, I think it's like three years or something like that. Uh, my parents, 51 years. And, uh, and when talking to them, I've got to be honest with you, it's not always like, oh, we've just, we just love each other so much, okay? Uh, it's not always like that. It's just like, you know what? I never gave up on her, and she never gave up on me, although we really wanted to sometimes, okay? Um, and, and I know maybe I'm talking to a, a large crowd that might, uh, or not a large, it is large in my eyes, and it's growing in Jesus' name. But I know I'm talking to a large majority that maybe you're not married yet, um, but you know what? You need to understand uh, the principle, principles of marriage. And so I remember, man, I had great role models growing up and still great role, role models to this day. And um, I, was, I was, gosh, how old was I? 23 when we got married. And a lot of people would be like, oh my gosh, that's so young, you know? And to me, it was like, man, I felt like I was old, you know? This was a while ago now. This is 12 years ago. Um, but, uh, and I remember, man, 23 did not seem too young. It didn't seem to, it just seemed like the right time, you know? And, uh, but I had great role models, and I try to, I try to mimic uh, my role models and my mom and dad and, and try to be a great husband. I'm not perfect, but I'm just like, I'm a little, I'm, I'm getting there, so. <laughs> So I've got lots of great memories. Uh, I want to read this to you, and it was, uh, it's stated by a man named Jack Hayford, and it says this, The covenant of marriage is the single most important human bond that holds all of God's work on the planet together. It is no small wonder that the Lord is passionate about the sanctity of marriage and the stability of the home. This covenant of marriage is based on the covenant God made with us. It is in the power of his promise to her 
that our personal covenant of marriage can be kept against the forces that would destroy homes and ruin lives. And I agree with that statement so wholehearted. That's why I wanted to start with marriage today. Let me read you this one by R.C. Sproul. It says, Marriages are the closest human relationships and should emulate most nearly our fellowship with God. The rise and fall of marriage in a society acts as a barometer by which to measure the godliness of that culture. It doesn't take very long if you just go on the internet and I looked at some of these studies as I was preparing and you look at some of the statistics and some of the studies that are done. If you find a culture where marriages are strong and marriages are stable and there's a large amount of people that are, that are married, that the crime rate is lower, the abortion rate is lower, and the suicide rate is lower. And that, that's just not Christian studies. You go, on, you go online, I, I tell you the truth, you go online, it won't take you long to discover that every study, whether secular or Christian, came out with the fi uh, same findings. But in cultures where, where marriages, where, there, where maybe there's more cohabitation rather than marriages, that the crime rates were higher, the abortions were higher, and suicides were higher. Why is that? I believe it goes right back to these two statements made is because we are living outside of God's plan and God's design for our life. When you flow with God's plan and you flow with God's design, I'm telling you right now, you can't go wrong. Will the enemy still come against you in different ways? Absolutely. But my Bible tells me that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. Now listen to me. If we are not living according to God's pattern and God's design, you cannot expect the protection of God. Are you with me this morning? And that's why you see more suicides. That's why you see more crime rate. That's why. Why? Because we're living outside of, I believe, the greatest covenant ever given to mankind. And it's one that God uses in His Word to demonstrate the relationship of Jesus Christ with us. What does the Bible say about marriage. I'm going to try to get to these four today, although I doubt I'll do it, but the first one we're going to cover is, is, is biblical marriage is divinely instituted. The second one we're going to cover is biblical marriage is a covenant relationship, and we're going to talk about what it means to have a covenant relationship. Thirdly, biblical marriage is designed for the happiness of man and woman, increasing the human population, raising up a godly seed, and preventing fornication. Number four, biblical marriage is illustrative of. And we're going to talk about these four if we get to them, but let's just start with number one, and we're going to read some scriptures this morning. Is that okay? Number one. Biblical marriage is, number one, divinely instituted. Okay? Biblical marriage is divinely instituted. What do we mean by divinely instituted? Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. Genesis 2, verse 21. It says this, starting in verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last, it is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, Verse 24, therefore, because of what God did, because of what God inspired, because of what God created, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, 
And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Therefore, what's the therefore for? (laughs) It's there because, hey, because God did this, now man and woman will be together. Okay? In other words, this thought of marriage, this covenant marriage, was divinely instituted by God. It wasn't just something that, you know, Adam and Eve were just chilling one day and be like, hey, you're cute, yeah, you're good looking too. Hey, you want to hook up? Okay, let's do that. It's not how it happened, okay? It was God-inspired. It was God-breathed. It was God's plan, which I believe this with all my heart. Therefore, it is God's design for you to find that person. You ever heard anybody talk about their soulmate? They're my soulmate, you know, whatever. I, I think there's something inside of us that longs to find that person they connect with and spend the rest. Why is that? Because God designed it that way. Because God cre- because it was divinely instituted. It is something instituted by God from the very start and something he always wanted for man. If, if you actually study out the words in Genesis chapter 2, you could literally put, you could literally uh, kind of paraphrase it like this. You could say that, that because of what God did, now man is going to leave mommy and daddy, later days mom and dad, and, and he's going he's gonna to hold fast to, okay, you ever, been, you ever super glued your fingers together? Okay, it's not comfortable. <laughs> Try pulling them apart. You're tearing skin, okay? You rip the skin. Are you with me? The skin, the skin will be torn because it like, I don't know what it does. It like melts your skin together or something. It's just like, it's ungodly. I've done it like twice. It's not fun. Anyway, the picture is this, is that when the, when the man leaves mom and dad, he literally grabs on and holds on. It's like super glue. And nothing you can do is going to tear us apart. Matter of fact, if we get torn apart, what's going to happen? Flesh is going to be torn. Why? Because the Bible said they became one flesh. Now listen, back in the... We're going to jump... We're going to go right to the next one because I'm already into it. Number two, it's a covenant relationship. It's a covenant relationship. Biblical marriage is a covenant relationship. Now listen to me. Back in the old days, I mean like old covenant, Old Testament times. Okay, that would be the beginning, the first part of your Bible, okay? Back in those days when they did a covenant, they were so serious about this thing that the way they did these covenants, man, this was not a joke. This was not just like something they did lightly, okay? They would actually take an animal and they would cut the animal in half, okay? And they would lay one side of the animal over here and one side of the animal over there. And then they would make this agreement, hey, let's get married, okay, all right? And then they would walk through this animal that was cut in half. And they would say these words, okay? If we break this covenant, if we break this thing, we are to become just like the animal that's cut in two. Why is that? Because the Bible says they became one flesh. They came together. They were now one, okay? And now if they break the covenant, they are separating themselves and they are literally tearing the flesh. And so now they're becoming like the animal. Are you with me this morning? This is a, th- listen, when, when, here's the problem. When I say covenant, you know what most people hear? Most people hear contract. That's what most people hear. In today's society, when you talk about a covenant, most people don't think, okay, yeah, covenant, um, we're going to cut an animal and we're going to, okay, they don't think that way. Not, you don't need to think that way, okay? I got a poodle at home and that's weird, all right? But they think contract. Why? Because we have become really good at contracts. We are living in the land of prenuptials. I have an issue. I have a problem when you're about to marry the man or the woman of your dreams. 
hey, baby, man, this is the day. Yeah, right before we go, I need you to sign something. What's that? Well, just in case. It's like plan B. Just in case we ever get a divorce, I just don't want you to take everything I have. I had nothing when we got married, so she had nothing to worry about. But she had all the money, and I spent it within the first two months. They don't think in terms of covenant. They think in terms of contract. They, they honestly, this is the way we view our, our, our marriages in society. We view it as a leased car. That's how we view it. Now, I'm going I'm I'm to take this one for three years, and if I still like it, I'll renew the lease. I know that sounds harsh, okay? But can I just be honest with you? What, what's a prenuptial? A prenuptial is just that. It's, you know what, if it don't work out, hey, you know, I get to take the car as well, you know? And if it works, man, we'll re-up this lease, but if not, you know what, we'll fulfill the lease contract and I'm gone. That's a contract, okay? Contracts were meant to be fulfilled. Covenants were meant to be lived. Contracts were meant to be fulfilled. I fulfilled my contract, okay, whether it's a business contract, whether it's a car, whatever, whether it's a mortgage, Man, you talk about, here's the problem right now in the society we live in. I mean, you, uh, has anybody ever bought a house before? The amount of paperwork you have to do to own a home. The amount of paperwork you have to do to get married. Sign the dotted line. You're married. Awesome. Buy a house. Fill out 4,000 pages worth of paperwork. And yet, people by the thousands and hundreds of thousands are walking away from their commitment to a house. And what does that that say? They view marriage the same way, man. They're walking away. Are you with me? Because everything's a contract. There's no no covenant. What what is covenant? Covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is something that God designed. You saw Ephesians chapter 5, 32. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This marriage, man, it is is a, is a model of what Christ in the church is. I discovered this as I was studying, ladies and gentlemen. I just, and I, I told my wife yesterday, I said, you know what, baby? The day I stop loving you more is the day I stop wanting to love God more. If I don't wake up the next day saying, man, how can I, how can I love my wife more? How can, I, how can I please her more? Is the day I wake up and say, you know what? I, I, I don't want to please God more. I don't want to love God more. I'm, I'm content. My mom taught me this. My mom said, Ben, when you're looking for a wife, you watch the way she treats her father and you watch the way she treats the church. If she treats her father well, she'll treat you well. If she treats the church well, she'll treat you well. Why? Because there's a link. Are you with me this morning? Aren't you glad you came to Urban today? All right. (laughs) Biblical marriage is a covenant relationship. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs 2, verse 10. Proverbs 2, verse 10. And there's no way we're probably going to get past this one. Proverbs 2 is eluding me right now. There it is. Proverbs 2, verse 10. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked 
who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Covenant, not, not, a, not a contract. We must understand this. If we don't understand this, we won't understand the rest of the series. If we don't understand this, listen to me. If you don't understand marriage, you have a hard time understanding the analogies God uses in the Bible. Are you with me? What is a covenant? Let's look at it real quickly. If biblical marriage is a covenant, what is a covenant? Here are some things that are seen in a covenant. I already said one of them, the way they went about doing the covenant. Here's some other things that are seen in a covenant. A, in a covenant, the two are becoming one. Okay, it's not a contractual thing where if you hold up your end of the bargain, I'll hold up my end of the bargain. It's a covenant thing. We have now become one flesh, one body. We are one. That is a covenant. Okay, John 15, 5. How do we see this? Jesus says this, you abide in me and I'll abide in you. You abide in me, I'll abide in you. In other words, look, marriage, man, is a covenant thing. Man, you, you became one. But so when you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, you have become one. Now I abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in me. If we understand the covenant of marriage, we understand the covenant relationship we have with Jesus Christ. It's becoming one. It's not just like, if I have time for you today, Jesus, you have time for him because you're one. Everything you do affects him. B, covenant. In a covenant, there is a sign or a seal. In marriage, that, that sign is the ring. I'm married. That's the seal of our wedding. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the signet, that's the sign. In a covenant that God establishes, there is a sign and there is a seal. You could go through all the covenants. I think there's 11 of them that are mentioned in the Bible. And you talk about all 11. There is a seal. You could look at this one. You could look at the Noahic covenant. When God says, hey, Noah, I'm never going to flood the earth again. Really? How do I know? Look right over there. What's that? That's a rainbow. What was that? That was the seal. So anytime we see the rainbow. Now, this is the cool thing. The cool thing about it is, is that God says, I have put the rainbow there to remind myself of the covenant I've made with you. Okay? Why does he say that? Because I still think there's times we tick God off. And there's probably still times he's like, man, why did I, I want to flood the earth again? <laughs> People down there, you know, messing up all the time. When he looks down, he sees the rainbow. He's like, ah! He sees it, so it reminds him, oh, that's right, I made a covenant with them. I can't destroy them again, okay? That's the seal. There are times when I look at my wife and I'm like, oh, there's a ring on your finger. I'm sure she feels the same way sometimes. But because of covenant, because it's sealed. See, in a covenant, there is a change in name. In a covenant, there is a change in name. Now, the way it's set up in, in our culture, the way it's set up in marriage, she takes on my last name. She was Katie Lee Turner. Now she's Katie Lee Brinkman. It's a beautiful name. Okay? 
uh, you know, and I'll just say it. I, I, I actually do have issues with people that want to hyphenate their name. I'm just going to throw it out there. I might have just offended somebody. Get over it. I'll forgive you later. Okay. Why? Because in this covenant, what you are saying is like, man, we have become one. I don't want my last name anymore. I, I'm not that person anymore. We are now one, and so now I'm going to take on your name, and we have, we, are you with me today? We share. Look at it in the Bible. What happened when, when God came to Abram, and he made a covenant with Abram? He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. God says, look, I'm going to change your name. Why? Because I'm in a covenant with you, and I'm going to bless you. Hey, change my name. I want the blessings. And if you understand the Old Testament, you understand that Abraham was the richest man ever to live in the Old Testament. How many want that blessing right now? Yeah. How many get married right now? I thought about this. I thought about the end of the day. He's like, hey, everybody wants to get married. Just come forward right now. Thinking that I'm going to pray over him. I'm going to match him up. Okay, you right here. You here. You. You imagine. I'd probably have a lot of people coming back to my church. <laughs> Oh, anyway, your name gets changed. Why? Because it shows there's a covenant. I'm not keeping my old name because I'm not that old person. We are now one. Covenant. D, there is a witness to testify. There is a witness to testify. You know, the first miracle Jesus ever did was at a wedding. He was there to testify. He was there to be like, man, I'm, I'm, this is awesome. In covenants in the Old Testament, there had to be a third party present to testify. When you get married, believe it or not, there's a little thing right below where you sign that says, witness. It's usually done by the, the, you know, the best man or sometimes the pastor or whatever. Or what, you know. what is that? There's a witness. There's a covenant. E, there is a covenant partner to defend. There is a covenant partner to defend. And I'm going to end right here. There is a covenant partner to defend. When you enter into a marriage relationship, read, read Ecclesiastes chapter 4. When you get into this relationship, man, the two have become one. Two are better than one, the Bible says. And when one falls, man, that one's down. The other one can come and pick him up and say, look, I'm here to help you out. You defend each other. You cover each other. You stand by each other. Can I tell you something? The Bible says when you're in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Bible says you might make your bed in the pit of hell. In other words, you might live like hell. But Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Why? Because you are in a covenant relationship with Him. And even in times when you turn your back on God, I tell you, God has never turned His back on you. Why? Because He is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Are you with me this morning? He is the one that started this thing. He's the one that set this thing in motion. Now you read throughout the whole entire Old Testament and he talks to Israel. He's like, Israel, you screwed up again. And he made it. That's why there's 11 covenants, by the way. Because every time they screwed up, he came and made a new covenant with them. It's true. And he'd say, man, okay, let's make a new covenant. You talk about a God of mercy and grace and love. Now you talk about, man, a God, when I blow it, man, and I feel like absolute doo-doo. I don't know if that's a dictionary word or not. but And I feel like, man, I've absolutely blown it. Am I the only one that's ever been there before? And I feel like, man, I've absolutely blown it, man. There's no hope. And, man, you read, and I was like, wow, Israel blew it a lot more than I did. <laughs> All their failures make me begin to feel happy, you know. 
But more than that, I see that, man, God loves me so much that he will give me a second chance. He will give me a third chance. He will give me a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. Although a righteous man falls seven times, hey, get up, get going again. Are you with me today? And I read that and I see that and I'm like, wow, God's love for us. Now let's take it back to Ephesians chapter 5. Hey, just as Christ loved the church, hey, bro, love your wife the same way. Because I'll tell you what, a woman will never have a problem submitting to a man who lays down his life. And a man will never have a hard time laying down his life for a woman who submits to him. And so if we go 100%, 100%, guess what? It's just going to keep going full circle and it's going to be one healthy, awesome, amazing relationship. Are you with me? And that's the way it is, man. That's the way it is with God. God does not want us to turn our back on him, but sometimes we do. But guess what? He's there and he covers But man, just think about it. That's why we come to church. That's why we read our Bible. That's why we pray. It's not because it's a duty. It's not because it's this thing I have to do because I call myself a Christian. No, I want to do it. Why? Because he's laying down his life for me and I just want to keep submitting myself to him. It's easy. Are you with me? It's not so. The minute we begin to look at it as a duty, we begin to look at him as a master rather than as a husband. He does not want to be our master. He wants to be the groom. And he lays down his life. Now, man, I'm telling you, just let me, let me just stop right here. 1 Corinthians 13. I think it's verse 7. And it says, love bears. Not rawr, but like, <laughs> like bears. Holds up, okay? <laughs> love bears all things. Okay? But because we look at marriage, and because we look at our relationship with Jesus as a contract rather than a covenant, when we see that, that love bears all things, we see it as, sure, love can bear some things, but there is a breaking point at some, at some point where these things are okay, but if it goes over the line into these things, then uh-uh, it's over. When you stand at the altar on that day and you grab her or his hand and you get married and there it is, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Nothing in the past matters. But can I tell you something? The minute you say, for better, for worse, till death us do part, the only thing that's going to separate you is death. You with me? The only way she's going to get rid of me is by killing me. Pretty sure that's never going to happen because I've been working out. Okay? But we look at that verse, love bears all things. And we, we put our own interpretation on it. Yeah, it, it bears a lot, man. Man, morning breath, whew, man. No makeup, cheese, you know. Burnt the dinner, yeah, you know. Dirty house, you know, on the other side, you know. Smelly man, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> bears all things, okay. The word bear, if you study it out, the Greek word is stego. And it means this. Don't I sound educated? It's awesome. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I just say it how it looks. Okay? And it's the same word used from back in the old days. And they would take stego and they would cover all the cracks on the boats they made. So it was seamless. So where the boards came together, they would cover those seams. And then if there were any cracks, they would cover those cracks with that thing. And what that would do is it would actually cause the boat to float. It bears all things. The minute that was removed 
water begins to seep in. In other words, the word stego means to cover. And when the boat was covered, it floated. But the minute you removed the covering, in other words, love covers all things. And the minute I remove the covering from her, and the minute she removes the covering from me, is the minute the marriage begins to sink. But as long as we continue to cover one another, as long as we continue to cover each other, the marriage stays afloat. Now that does not, it bears, it covers all things, not just some things. Listen, if you were to read, and we don't have time today, but if you were to read, I'll give them to you real quickly and you can write them down. If you read Isaiah 54 and you go through the book of Jeremiah, Isaiah 54 and go through the book of Jeremiah, you will see this covenant relationship with, the God, with God and his people in action. So much so that God now comes back to Israel and he says, look, you guys have been, and I'll change the word, but you guys have been like a prostitute. You guys have cheated on me so many times. But because of my covenant, love bears all things. Because of my covenant, I'm going to take you back again and again and again and again and again. And Jesus reiterates this in 1 Peter 4.8. And he talks about in Ephesians 5. And he says, look... Just as God, just as Christ, that you ought to cover each other. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't matter how far they've gone. Listen to me right now. I'm telling you, it is easy to walk away from a relationship where there's been some wrong. That's easy, man. We can do that every day. But what a testimony if you could go back and say, we have a covenant, and I blew it, or you blew it. But you know what? We have a covenant, and we're going to work through this. And as we work through that, I can tell you right now, there would not be a greater testimony, there would not be a greater joy, there would not be a greater celebration than on the other side. Are you with me this morning of that? Because that's what Jesus Christ did for the church. That's how much God loves you and I. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 1 Peter 4.8 says that love covers a multitude of issues, a multitude of sins, a multitude of wrongdoings, a multitude of transgressions. Romans 5.8, that while we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, while we were still outside of the truth, while we were still outside of John 8, 32, that I didn't know the truth and therefore I wasn't free, but Jesus Christ came and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Love covers and he came and he died for me. He came and he said, look, then you don't know the covenant yet? Here it is. And then I broke it and I broke it and I broke it and I broke it and he came to me again and again and again and he said, love, my love is going to cover you. My love is going to cover that issue because I I died for you and I'm going to keep my covenant with you. Are you with me this morning? So it doesn't matter today as you sit here today. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. Yes, now listen to me because I've been getting a lot of emails on this, on this mailer we sent out. And I've been getting emails from people. It is not up to you to tell people what the Bible says. It is just up to you to love people. And that is so wrong though. It's good to the fact that I've got to love people, but it's up to me to tell people what the Bible says. Romans chapter 10. How will they know unless someone tells them? If I don't tell them and I just say, hey, look, I love you, come here, let's just, let's just put our arms around each other and sing. I'm giving them a false sense of hope. But if I say, look, because see, I, I love people enough. I love my daughters enough. When they're about ready to stick their finger in the light socket, I just, oh, I love you. 
I just accept what you're going to do. I love you so much. That makes me a horrible dad. What makes me a good dad is I step in the way I say, look, you can continue to do that, but here's what's going to happen. Because the truth is, (laughs) are you with me? So yes, Jesus Christ loves you. Loved you enough that he died for you and me. But he loves you so much he doesn't want you to stay in your sin. For God so loved the world. He said, even though you're not keeping the covenant, I'm going to. I'm going to. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, I pray that as we leave this morning, God, when we go on our way, that God, you be glorified in our lives and you be edified in all that we do. And Lord, I pray that we would leave today, God, truly experiencing John 8.32, knowing the truth, and the truth will have set us free. And God, I pray for every person, every individual in this place, God, that maybe they're not in a covenant relationship with you, that God, they would have a chance to be in a covenant relationship with you.